Welcome to Read by Example, where teachers are leaders and leaders know literacy. Today I'm with Jethro Jones. He is a principal, a podcaster, um, a man of many talents. I've had the pleasure of talking with him on his site. And how many uh, people have you now talked to, Jethro, with your podcast and, and work? It was over 300. Um, Does that sound right? Yeah, so I just recorded episode 382 of my podcast just a couple of minutes before you and I started. Wow. So it's up there. <laughs> Not to mention the the 100 or so people from the Leadership Summit that I've done. And yeah, That's I just right. love learning and talking to other people. So it makes it pretty pretty easy to do and a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. We were just talking to, uh, this is only my seventh one, but you try to wrap it around what, what I'm currently learning about right now. I'm learning about instructional leadership and in embedding coaching skills. And so I thought, you know, your book, School X, with trying to just do things and not get too long term in terms of projects, but just trying things. And you had that initial example with the lunchroom, which is a typical issue in just in just about every school. And But that would kind of serve as like a, a small example, a microcosm of design thinking in, in general and bigger picture. So just how you've studied this, how do you describe design thinking? What is it? Why should we be thinking about using it in our, in our work? Yeah, I I see design thinking as a problem-solving process that anybody can use, no matter who they are or where they're at. And so it's really freeing because you don't have to be, you don't have to be in a leadership position. You don't have to be an expert. You just have to be somebody who cares enough to see that there's a problem and try to figure out how to make it better. And so that's what that's what I love about it is that it um, it really allows anybody to be at that level of improving things. And it's really, um, it's a really flexible, unique way to do it. Yeah, it, it seems like it gives you a framework or, or a process or a routine in which to engage in, you know, kind of this, these small action research types of things. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And so when you see a problem, you can go through the same process to figure out what it is that you need to do to make it better. And so the first thing you do all the time is you empathize with the people who are experiencing it. So you may be the one that you need to empathize with, but there may also be other people that you need to empathize with. So once you gain that empathy, then you need to redefine what your problem is because your original problem is probably not really (laughs) what it is that you were, what, what you were thinking. And so after you redefine it, then, you just make a prototype for a solution. And I say just make a prototype because it's usually not that complicated. It's usually very easy to do and very uh, very natural to, to, to do it. And so it's not like you have to, you know, get, get all these things together and like start doing stuff. You can just implement a solution. And if, you're, if your problem is big enough that you have to get more people involved, you probably didn't define your problem narrowly enough. And so you can make a lot of changes as a school principal, as a teacher in a classroom, as a coach, it, with just, just within your sphere of influence. So then once you do that, you reflect in, on the process and see what worked and what didn't. And then you just adjust it as you go on. And the thing is, is there are so many problems out there that it's really easy to find something to start to fix. And you can use the same process for every one of those things to fix. 
So you would recommend trying something simple, something where you're going to experience likely success and it's small and it's, it's doable. Exactly. The, the smaller the change is, the easier it will be to continue doing it. And in the, in the book school X, um, that example of being in the lunchroom, I mean, we thought the easiest thing to do is to just make all the kids line up, but that wasn't actually what the problem was. The problem was with our, our, our lunch checkout. And so once we actually took the time to empathize and see what was really going on, we realized that the, the problem was something that somebody couldn't even identify was a problem themselves, but we had to try other things to see what was going on. So when we made all the kids line up, it was still taking forever for them to get their lunches. So we knew that it wasn't the kids not lining up. That was the problem, which is what we thought it was originally. We realized that it was the checkout process was too long and we needed to shorten it. And so once we were able to shorten that piece, then the kids stopped doing the negative behavior that we didn't want them to do in the first place. Mm-hmm. And thinking about like instructional leadership, then, I mean, some of the issues that we have are, are I don't want to downplay lunch, um, but some of these things like, you know, quality reading instruction, which is, you know, uh, a hot topic right now and it has been for a while i would think anyway i wonder what you think that you almost have to look like look at it like a series of challenges right because it's not just we'll fix literacy and we'll do this one thing it's probably several things and so how do you know where to start you know when with using design thinking with bigger bigger issues that aren't going to take you know just a week to figure out Yeah, well, what you want to do, even before you start tackling that problem, is you want to address what your vision and what your goal is. And so if it's about instruction, and, you know, let's say, for example, that your school is really big into Anita Archer, you want to have explicit instruction all throughout your school, and you want to figure out how to make that happen. Well, what you need to do first is be clear about what it is that you want to happen. Once you're clear about that, then you can start doing the same thing and asking uh, teachers and students what their experience is with the kind of instruction they're currently getting, what the challenges are that they're seeing. And what you may find is that really, maybe you don't need explicit instruction, the Anita Archer way, but you need more project-based learning in your school, or you need more of something else or whatever the case may be. But what you have to do first is just define what that end goal is and you need to be really clear about that and clear enough that anybody could articulate that in the same way that you would and so that requires you as the school leader to be clear yourself about what you want and not be all over the place okay so an example of this is when i went to fairbanks um, to be the principal of the middle school there the district was doing this big push on personalized learning and so that was the goal and that was what they wanted everybody to be doing and i bought into that 100 percent. i was totally into it and so i said all right we're all about personalized learning i told my staff basically if it's not about personalized learning then we're not gonna even touch it it doesn't matter to us and so a lot of things got pushed out of the way by virtue of it not being about personalized learning and so if it didn't help personalized learning then we weren't really gonna spend any time on it. And so there were a few things that we had to like safety issues, but I put those way down on the priority list. And I said, our priority is not safety. Our priority is 
personalizing learning for our students. And so that's what we're going to focus on. And that's what we did. Now, because I did that, because it was so clear, everybody could take part in that design thinking process to determine what it was that they were going to do to make that personalized learning happen for their students. And so it changed how we did professional development that instead of it being all top down, there was a lot more teachers involved in that, a lot more teachers, you know, making their own plans for what they're doing. There was a group that we were, our district was consulting with that was doing a lot of professional development on personalizing learning as well. So we incorporated a lot of that. But then here's where the real magic happened. Once people made their own plans about what they wanted personalized learning to look like in their classroom, they were given permission to run with those things and do their own action research, design thinking, design thinking, problem solving in their own classrooms. And they came up with some amazing results that I couldn't have even predicted if I wanted to say, here's what you need to do. They did way better than I could have even imagined myself. So it sounds like the constraints gave space for, for people to be innovative. Yeah, they gave, they gave space for people to be innovative within their own sphere and to be able to do the things that they needed to do to be successful in the vision that we had. And so if you wanted to, you know, assign a ton of homework and have everybody take all these tests, that wasn't really in line with what we were doing. So it was easy to say, we're not going to pursue that. But if you wanted to change how you did something and do like some interdisciplinary units, which some teachers did, that took like a whole quarter long, that became really impactful. And I didn't have to lead that because the vision was clear enough that they could conduct that on their own. And, and you mentioned, say, like homework, I get, you know, if we don't have homework, it, the kids are going to learn um, homework's a kind of a debatable topic. You mentioned like safety beforehand, but it's not that you didn't focus on safety. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming school safety, security, but it just wasn't the priority because it just, it was something that you were taking care of outside of that focus or, or it was already deemed that you were pretty safe. Yeah. So our schools are pretty safe already. Right. Mm -hmm. And yes, we need, like we did Alice training and we had that stuff happening, but that took up a very small part. And it was basically, here's, here's Alice training in a nutshell. You do the best you can with the information that you've got and nobody's going to get mad at you for that. And that's really what that training came down to. And we did more than just that, but really that's what it was about. As soon as you make safety your priority, learning does not become your priority. You can't have multiple priorities, even though in education, we really try to. You can only have one thing that is your priority. And to me, in a school, that needs to be learning. That doesn't mean that safety is, we just let kids do whatever they want. That's not the case. But we allow kids to take risks. We allow kids to make mistakes. We allow kids to do things where they could get hurt, like shop class, but we teach them how to be safe while they're part of that. But the goal is not for them to be safe. The goal is for them to learn how to use the tool appropriately or the equipment appropriately. And safety is a byproduct of doing our jobs well. It's not right. the goal. And so whenever I hear a school say, it's like safety, your child's safety is our number one priority, it just wrinkles me because that means that learning is not the priority. And sometimes kids make mistakes. That's, that's being unsafe. Sometimes kids get hurt. That's being unsafe. And sometimes those things just happen 
And I certainly don't wish that on anybody. Don't get me wrong here, but we need to make learning the priority. And if we do, those other things will happen most likely as well. It reminds me of um, when you go back and you're talking about, you look into some problem and then it, you uncover something maybe different or you, you happen upon something that was unexpected. Um, I, I talked to Anthony Kim, author of the New School Rules in a prior conversation in his book, um, he talked about school was struggling with math results and they, as they dug more and more into it, they realized it was uh, actually a reading issue. You know, the content was, was maybe too difficult and there wasn't enough background knowledge for, for the kids to be successful. So yeah, a good approach. And then, so in your book, school actually mentioned design thinking and, and correct me if I'm reading it, if I wrote it, read it wrong, but you said it's separate from like instructional leadership or organizational management. It's almost its third thing. Is that accurate or is it, or does it kind of fall in both camps? Uh, how do you see design thinking kind of fitting in within the paradigm of school leadership? So I'll, I'll be a little um, uh, conceited, I guess, and say that there is there's school management, which is one level, which is, you know, making sure that nobody gets hurt and the building doesn't burn down, all that kind of stuff. Then there's school leadership, which is having a vision, communicating that vision, getting people to buy into it. And then there's being a school designer, which is the highest level, which means that you are actively adjusting your school to meet the needs of the people that are there in front of you, which means this is how we've always done it. Isn't always the right answer because there are other things that the kids in front of you are going to need that the teachers in front of you are going to need. And so you're actively redesigning your school every year in these small, simple ways to make it better for the people that are in front of you. So it's your, it's your theory of action. I mean, first you're safe and then you know what you're, your goal is, what your priority is, and then you can engage in these, this innovative work. Does that sound right? Yes, that is right. And it's, and it's about more than just, you know, saying here's, here's how we do school, but it's about, Mm -hmm. this is how we do school for the people that are here. And so, you know, if you have this drastic change in population or a different set of teachers than you had the year before, then you're going to have to do things differently than you've done them previously. Mm-hmm. So I want to shift gears here a little bit. You've interviewed now almost 400 um, educators, which is commendable. And just reading through School X, that was a primary source of information just in your own research and, and how to improve in leadership. And how do leaders develop a network, though? And um, you're very engaged online, well-connected. Uh, for someone who maybe isn't, just they're not on Twitter, they're not they don't have a blog, but they want, you know, this job can be very isolating. What, what would you recommend for those types of people to get, start getting connected with other leaders and, and thinkers to expand your own perspective? Yeah. First and foremost, you have a network already and don't discount what you already have because it exists there to some extent. And, um, and so it's, it's good to, to have an online network. I think that that's important. Um, I, I do a, uh, a mastermind group coaching uh, thing for principals um, that is just amazing because it networks people who aren't typically connected to others and it helps you not feel lonely, but mm-hmm. you've got a network already and then just reach out to other people who are, who could be going through something similar to you 
and talk to them, share resources. Don't be afraid to pick up the phone and call people. I mean, every day I, I call people to talk to them about what they're struggling with as principals and see how I can help, see how they might be able to help me with something I'm struggling with. And what I find is that, you know, when you, when you reach out to someone, you're always afraid of rejection and, um, and rejection could look like somebody sending you to voicemail, or it could look like, uh, you know, not, not ever returning your call or anything in between. Um, and, and so we're afraid of that. Um, but we need to just get over that and, and reach out to people, um, and, and try to find that network wherever we can. I think that Twitter and Voxer and Facebook are really powerful, but they are not the only things. And they are much too shallow for what we really need, which is a deep interpersonal connection. And they, they fulfill a role and I, and I love using them, but I think we need deeper and we need more to be successful in the kind of work we're doing. And can you describe your mastermind program and its purpose and just how it takes people to that deeper level you talk about? Yeah, I think that it's really important because it, it helps us feel like we're not alone and like we can, we can find others who are in the same place as us. So what we do is we meet for an hour a week, we close our doors and get just in time professional development. And we talk about the challenges that we're facing. We read leadership books, usually not even books in education, but leadership books that are written by business people and things like that so that we have a different perspective on our work. And to me, that has been a really powerful learning process because it helps you identify commonalities between different areas and helps you learn something out of context of what we're used to. Mm -hmm. So we meet for an hour each week. We talk about our challenges. We set goals. We have accountability with each other. Um, and then we, we share in the joys and challenges of this work that we're doing. And it is uh, the most rewarding professional development that I have ever been a part of. And in fact, one, um, one principal who's in there, she said that it's a, we call it the inspiration group now, because she said that her secretary, whenever she leaves that meeting, her secretary says, Oh, were you in your inspiration group? Cause you look all inspired now mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and such a good uh, compliment of, of what can happen when you, when you really find your tribe and people who want to make um, school a much better place for kids. Yeah. That's a powerful testimonial. And so it just sounds like just reach out. Don't wait for people to reach out to you. Um, the social medias can be entry points, but what we're really looking for is, is more of a network and when we're actually interacting with, with each other purposefully, you know, and I imagine you get some people who are pretty open about their challenges, which is hard to do on Twitter or Facebook. You know, it's, it's got to have some community structure, I would think, you know, I mean, how do you structure the mastermind group? I mean, do you have like an agenda or a routine that you walk through? Yeah, we have an agenda. The first thing is a check-in, you know, something usually like what is, what's a win that you've had in the last week or some other silly thing that I do just help us get focused and centered. Um, then we talk about the book that we're reading. Um, we just finished reading a book called The Courage to Be Disliked and um, really a great book for helping us understand that it's okay for us to not be perfect and everybody's favorite person um, and not for their not for their admiration or anything, but just to recognize that their opinion shouldn't influence how we feel about things. Um, really a, a great book. One of my favorites that I've read in the last several years. 
Um, and then after that, we put someone on the hot seat and that person talks about the challenges that they're facing. We all go around and, and offer support and try to help them figure out the best thing to do. And here's the best part. Nobody is responsible for that decision and what they do besides the person who is on the hot seat themselves, because it's not our school, right? It's their school. And so no, right. none of us are saying, here's what you have to do. We're all saying, here's an idea. Here's an idea. Here's an idea. They get to take all those great ideas from people around the country that are not connected to them and find a way to put in their best thing. And just last week, um, one of the mastermind members who was on the hot seat, he said, thank you to the group for getting me, you know, giving me this advice because now we have a better plan for professional development this year during the pandemic and it's going to work out much better. So, um, you know, it, that kind of stuff happens pretty much every single week and it's amazing. And so if you want to learn more about that, you can go to jethrojones.com slash mastermind. And then on that page, there's a link to schedule a time on my calendar and we can just talk about what you're facing and what you're challenging. And I've had so many people that have said, you know, I've been thinking about this for months and I just haven't, I just haven't scheduled it, but I've wanted to do it for a long time, but I just didn't know what it entailed and, and what it looked like and how much it costs. And it was all too, too much for me to think about. And so I just never did it. And then they finally do. And they're like, man, this is amazing. Why did I wait so long to do it? Cause I've never had this kind of a supportive network where there's no politics. There's no, you know, jockeying for position. It's all about our whole purpose is everybody's there to help everybody else get better. Yeah. There's kind of a comfort in strangers, right? You don't have this established relationship with another principal or um, you can kind of let your hair down, so to speak. Uh, with these kind of groups. Well, thank you, Jethro, for doing that. I know principals need that. I'm a part of a network similar to that and I also find it very valuable. And so his book is School X. Um, he also runs the Mastermind program, Jethro Jones. Uh, check out his podcast um, at jethrojones.com. And thank you for, for all you do. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. 